Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so today's episode is brought to you by Zencaster. And I remember back in the day where I was looking at putting together Zencaster, I was looking for a solution that would really help me in putting things together. And essentially, this is what allowed me to bring deal makers to life. I mean, basically, Zencaster, what it is, is an all-in-one solution where you just send the link to the person that you're looking to interview. Essentially, they would plug in their computer with their video, with the audio, and then basically you are good to go. You would just piece everything together, give it to your audio engineer, or even edit it yourself, and you are off to the races. Now, if you're looking at getting into podcasting, you should definitely check Zencaster out. And you could also get a 30% discount. And this is a discount code that you will be able to redeem by going into Zen, and that is csnzebraen.ai forward slash dealmakers and then number zero. And lastly, you know, I was very much blown away when I found out that investing in wine has been one of the best kept secrets amongst the ultra wealthy. And this is now not the case anymore. You know, I came across this solution, which is called VinoVest, and they are a great, great solution that allows you to diversify investing by implementing or including wines into your portfolio. I mean, take a look at this. Wine has one third of the volatility of the stock market, and yet it has outperformed the global equities market over the past 30 years with 10.6% annualized revenues. So it's a really good way to diversify your portfolio. And you could also get two months of free investing by just going into the Send and that is csnzebraen.ai forward slash dealmakers. And by just going there, you will be able to redeem your discount. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very interesting guest. We're going to be making quite an announcement. So there is quite an announcement that it comes all to financing that we're going to be sharing on this episode today with this guest that we have. We're going to be talking about building, scaling, pivoting multiple times, having your investors giving you their backs and, and half of the leadership team quitting. I mean, you name it. I mean, full of adrenaline, just how we like it. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Ali Albasaz. Welcome to the show. Awesome. Hey, Alejandro. Nice to meet you. So, so Ali, why don't we do this? Why don't we do a little bit of a walk through memory lane? Because your upbringings are, are full of adrenaline. And uh, I think that people are going to be able to really get to know you. And obviously, everything started for you in Iraq. And then it moved to Iran, then to Germany. But, but I mean, it's a, quite, a, quite an interesting story there. So kind of walk, walk us through memory lane there. How were you born? How were you raised? Upbringings, landing in Germany, all of that good stuff. Absolutely, yeah, uh, yeah. So I was born in in Iraq, in uh, Baghdad, and uh, and when I was very young, my parents moved uh, to Iran. That's when I went to school and I learned to read and write Farsi, and uh, I I stayed there uh, up until like ten years old, and uh, that's when we moved to to Germany. And uh, in Germany, it's like the place where I have uh, spent most of my 
my life at this point and i feel probably more german than than anything else at this point but like moving to germany was like a pretty big part of like how my my life uh changed and um moving to germany and especially you know uh being this foreigner that is trying to prove himself and and showcase that hey i can i can also be smart i can also do things and um and i had like an amazing uh teacher when i came to germany who worked really 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 hard and i thank her so much for helping me to learn German, helping me to actually go to a level higher of school and another higher school. So I was able to actually go to university and actually have a career. And this teacher that I had um, was quite a big inspiration in, in my life. And and uh, probably we will get to that soon. Like she was also a very big inspiration to me to actually start Inkit and, and, and help other uh, people have an equal chance in life. And talking about equal chance in life, I find that when you are faced with adversity, you know, you really get the opportunity to grow. And I'm sure that for you, finding that equal spot as a foreigner in Germany, I'm sure it was not easy. So how was that for you? How do you think that has shaped your character and who you are? Um, well, look, when I, when I came to, to Germany and when we immigrated here, there was this this person in the in the school system who uh, decided which kids that are immigrating to Germany and which school system uh, they should be going. And in Germany, there are like three types of school systems. You, two of them are like very 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 basic. It's basically where you graduate after ninth or tenth grade, and then you have to go and work. You're not allowed to go to university or do any further education. And um, yeah, when we arrived here, for for some reason, I don't really know it. I was too young to to question it. You know, they said like, yeah, you know, this is a foreigner, so let's put him in the in the lowest school system possible um, because he, you know, he doesn't have any future anyway. So that's kind of like what I believe at this point. But the cool thing was, um, in the end, like my my teacher who did work there, who who uh, saw my potential, who said like, oh wow, this guy is actually smart and he's actually um, capable of a lot more and um, let me help him. Let me let me help him to go to the higher school and um, and and yeah. And she worked really hard with with me on that and to to learn German to yeah to figure out like all the bureaucracy in terms of changing schools and and so on. Um, so yeah, I have seen basically both sides of it. I've seen like being um, being put in the in the wrong school system just because of like you know where I come from, not based on um, you know my my potential. But then on the other side, also I've had people here like such as my teacher who, um, yeah, who saw like, oh, this guy is actually smart, should be in a different school system. He should be able to go to university. So let me, let me put him in a, in a, in a different, uh, different school system. So yeah, I have experienced both the good and bad. And I'm sure that that's saying, thanks, thanks to that, you are who you are today. And part of the school system, you actually ended up studying computer science out of all things. So why computer science? You know, when I was 12 or 13 or something, that's when uh, I kind of urged my parents to to buy me a computer, and and I really fell in love with the computer. I started coding like probably like two months after getting my computer, and I really fell in love with coding. Computers follow instructions like they don't really care, you know, who you are, what what uh, what skin colors you have, where you come from, and me being in that state of um you know um uh, with with twelve where I was this foreigner in school. Um, it was like a really cool kind of uh, relationship with the computer who would see me as an equal. And, um, and I was like, um, you know, like that's what, when I started coding and then, um, you know, obviously like, you know, 
I kept coding. I, I, I was freelancing for, and earning my money you know, before going to university to study computer science. That was the only thing I could imagine. And um, literally, when I went to, to study computer science, uh, about a um, few months in, I started already working at Microsoft. I was teaching other students how to code. And um, probably about a year in, uh, in studying computer science, I kind of realized that, you know, that I was giving lectures to other students in, in, in the university how to code. And my students were people who were like doing their PhDs. And I at some point realized, okay, maybe I'm in the wrong place here. Um, I don't really need to learn any of these things. I already started doing that 10 years before that. So uh, maybe it's good for me to drop out and, and start my first business. And that's when I, when I started my uh, first business with 1920, and, um, which was like a similar platform to Fiverr.com um, in, in Germany. And um, yeah, it was like the you know, number one uh, clone, I would like to say. And in, in Germany, it was like, you know, the, there were like 80 other clones at that point, I believe. And yeah, it was like the, the number one, but unfortunately, it didn't really grow that big. So it wasn't like a big, like, um, you know, um, um, VC case or anything. And uh, that's when, you know, two years later when I stopped it and, and continued as a JavaScript programmer. And then that's kind of like on the side how uh, Inkit at some point started. Now, as they say, you either succeed or you learn. So uh, what, what, what <laughs> would you say that? Because, I mean, as painful as it is going through one of those journeys where you don't uh, end up getting the success that you had hoped for, I mean, it's, it's not easy. It's really not easy. And, and it's a journey and it's a roller coaster of emotions too. So how was that for you and, and what lesson did you take away? Absolutely. I, 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 I still remember you know, the email like that I wrote to, uh, to my mentor the next day when I, when I gave up and I was writing to her like, you know, how, how much of a failure I feel. And I feel like I'm like, I have failed in so many different things and like I can't do anything. And I remember writing that email and, and, and she responded to me and said, Ali, if you uh, give up now, that's failure. If you keep trying, that's not failing. Learn from it, move on. And she wrote that very short email, and that was like such an inspirational quote that I that I still like carry with with me. But in in the end, like when I when I look back at um, at at um, the Funfi uh, company that I had created back then, um, obviously it didn't really fly high. But if I look back, there's been so many things that I could have done differently, and it, if I would be doing it today, it would be successful. Like such as, um, I saw that there are some like uh, verticals, some some subcategories um, of services that I was offering on on Funfi, um, which were actually doing pretty well, and I should have pivoted and um, worked a lot more on those instead of like creating this the overall platform. There were like some um, SEO services, some like technical services that were working really well. I should have just focused on a lot of on those things, and then it would have worked. And um, yeah, my main learning out of it is actually like, um, I shouldn't have given up. I think I still get, you know, the, the giving up was the, was a bit big mistake. If I, sh if I would have not given up, uh, then uh, it would have taken a bit of time until I would learn like what needs to be done. And then I would have done what needed to be done. And uh, that's actually my, my big learning out of, uh, out of that failure. And that's something that I took with myself into starting Inkit. Uh, when I said, um, when I'm doing Inkit, either Inkit is going to become successful or I'm going to die first. So basically, uh, you know, uh, 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 succeed or die trying. And, um, 
and 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 that's something that I that I you know the big big learning uh, for me like never ever ever give up because um, if you if you give up you don't you don't you you cannot adapt but if you don't give up at some point you will have the uh, an amazing idea that will turn things around and you can you can make things actually work out. And as they say, those that give up do so because they didn't realize how close they were uh, for making it happen. So I guess in your case, you know, after after this experience with Funfi, basically you went into it as a freelancer. You were taking some, you know, jobs to as a developer. And then all of a sudden, you know, really the um, the idea, I mean, as they say, ideas are dormant. You know, they take time to incubate. In your case, you know, it was like your life really, you know, that they that incubated this, you know, uh, idea of Inkit. But at what point do you realize, hey, you know, I think this is time to really execute on this idea? Yeah. So as you said, like I was working as a JavaScript uh, developer for a few different companies. And a few months in, I was already missing to have my own pet project, something that, that I could define, like how it could uh, um, could be defined and created. And that's uh, when on a weekend I, I, I had this idea. I was like, hmm, what if I create like a, a platform where uh, writers who write novels can upload their stories and they can share it with their friends and family to get feedback? That was like a, you know, like a small idea I had over a weekend. I created the site and you know, just for fun, started sharing it with a bunch of writers. I uploaded a story that I had written myself. And I designed it very well. And I, I spent a lot of time on polishing and making it look good because I wanted when uh, writers share it with their friends and family, it would be presented in a very good light. And I did that. And then I shared it with a few people. Long story short, um, a few months in, uh, the site started to grow just by itself. And uh, people were loving the design and they were sharing with their friends and family and they were sharing it with other authors because they wanted them to upload their stories. And about a year in, I had suddenly created a website that was growing just by itself. Um, and it had like a few thousand uh, writers and a few uh, few thousand readers. And I was like, oh, wow, this is some, something. It's like something is working. Like I'm, 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 I'm not putting much energy into it, but something is working. And, um, and at that point, that's like when I really became interested about like, oh, what, what is this? Like I'm in the publishing space that people call publishing, book publishing. I'd never really done anything with book publishing before. So I went online and started Googling like book publishing. What is this? How does this work? Um, and, and you as a, as, a, as a published author, you know a lot more than I knew at that point uh, when I started Inkit. Um, and I started Googling and I figured uh, that there is this process. And when I say a writer, you go and submit your stories to an agent. The agent goes to a publishing house. And then uh, you have very low chances actually of succeeding. I figured that uh, Harry Potter's uh, uh, J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter was rejected by 13 publishers. That Twilight was rejected by 14 publishers. That Stephen King's first book was rejected by 30 publishers. And that a lot of authors have been struggling uh, a lot with getting published. And uh, that's when I realized that there are probably then also a lot of authors right now out there who have written an amazing story and then nobody got to read their story because some publisher rejected them. That's kind of like when the idea came up for me and I said, what if I use this platform that I have created where authors are uploading and readers are reading? I can just start measuring the behavior of the readers on the books, see what are the uh, covers that the readers are clicking. Uh, when they start reading, do they actually finish the chapter? 
Do they go to chapter two? Do they ever finish the book? Do they share it with their friends? Uh, when they share it with their friends, how many friends do they bring? And I kind of like had this idea that I could start measuring the success of a book or a potential success of a book based on the numbers of like how the readers are interacting with the book. And this way I could make the discovery of which stories are actually performing a lot more objective and a lot less based on gut feeling. And this way I could give uh, authors a chance to uh, become published, you know, in a, in a very different way. So previously, um, an editor would read the book and make a gut feeling decision. And I wanted to create a platform where we would measure the performance of a book based on these metrics, based on these numbers. And if the numbers were good, we would go and actually become their publisher. That's kind of how, how Inkit started. And now, five, six years later, um, after that kind of like that moment, we have been able to discover hundreds of successful authors all around the world. Um, every second author we're discovering is making more than $100,000 in sales. And we have a few authors who are like in millions in sales. And um, my, my absolute favorite uh, um, success story coming out of Inkit is, is the story from um, one of our authors. Her name is Sumia, who um, is living in, in India in a state called Odisha, where only 67% of the women can read and write. And uh, it's a very poor area. And, and Sumia literally wrote her entire novel on an Android phone on the Inkit app. And she uploaded it. And we saw it based on the metrics and the engagement on her story. That's a great story. And we contacted her, published Sumia. And she has now uh, crossed $4 million in sales and is a globally successful author. And uh, these are the things that we are allowing with this platform that we have created. We, we have created a platform that, um, that allows uh, talented novelists from all around the world to be discovered and actually reach their full potential. Hey, guys, so pardon the interruption here. I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a Series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. Now, to really monetize on this and to have a business model that allows for the business to be sustainable, it hasn't 
been that much of an easy ride. I mean, you guys have been at it now for nine years, but you guys have pivoted three times. Yeah. So I know that in the journey of doing those pivots and finding your business model, also, I mean, it was challenging too with the investors, you know, with the leadership team quitting. So tell us what has been that process too of going from one business model to another one uh, and finally landing on the business model that you guys have today. Yeah, the media often like, you know, creates this picture of, of Inkit as like an overnight success. And like we, you know, raised our Series A with Kleiner Perkins in 2019 that our Series B with uh, NEA from California last year with $59 million Series B. And like the media creates this uh, overnight success picture. But in reality, it's been like, a, yeah, a, a, a long ride. And as you say, like um, we had to try three different business models and along the way, um, yeah, as you said, like half of the leadership team quit because they lost faith. Um, multiple stakeholders from shareholders and, and so on, um, like really stopped believing in the company along the way. And then, and then we still figured it out at some point. We were, we were lucky. But let me walk you through that. So the, the first idea that we had initially was to use this technology uh, to discover authors and then sell these books to other publishers. So the idea was to uh, go and see like, okay, there is a good book coming on the platform. Let's go and uh, sell this book to uh, Penguin Random House. Let's go sell it to Simon & Schuster. And uh, we started doing that in 2015 and figured that the, it was really difficult to communicate with these publishers, like telling them about like, hey, these are the data points on these books. They would you know, say like, what the fuck is this data points? Like, um, uh, what what like we we have our editors who make the judgments what do you mean with these you know with these metrics they didn't really understand it and and uh, we did sell a few books here and there to some publishers um and the problem was though that their their cycles were so slow it would take up to 2 years for actually a book to actually be released and um and that was way too slow for us as a startup like we couldn't wait like for one book to take like 2 years to be released so that's when we said, okay, if this is so slow and they don't believe in us, um, let us publish ourselves. Let us find these books that are performing well on Inkit and go sell them on Kindle. So that was became our second business model. And we said, like, hey, let's go do that. And then we started publishing. We started to learn how to do Kindle. Um, we started growing our revenues to, I believe, something like forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a month. Uh, that was like in 2016, 2017. And then we really struggled to um, to grow the revenues beyond forty, fifty thousand. Um, and the problem was that when you sell books on Amazon, they don't allow you to track uh, who your customers are. So uh, you don't know your customers' um, uh, contact address. You don't know their email address. You don't know their name. You cannot upsell to them if they buy if they buy like the first book in a series. You don't know who they are, so you cannot sell the second book in a series to them. So you have basically a 100% churn um, on every sale you're making on, on Kindle. That's kind of like where this kind of discussions started, like within shareholders and leadership. Okay, is the problem Kindle or actually the system that we have created with Inkit with like being data-driven and looking at metrics is actually completely wrong and it's not working. And that's when a lot of people start, stopped believing in it and said like, hey, this is just not working. Uh, and that's like when, you know, as you mentioned, like half of the leadership team quit, uh, which started a lot of discussions also among shareholders about like, okay, if half of the leadership team quitting, they must know something. So something is off with the company. 
and um, you know the the shareholders started um, to to lose faith in us. And it was like a you know 2017, 2018 was probably like one of the toughest years in my in my life because the pressure was uh, so tough on us. And we kind of came up with this idea and said, okay, we need to create our own platform. Instead of selling books on Kindle, we need to create our own platform to sell these books because we need to own the relationship to the customers. And, um, and that's what, what I basically pitched back then to our, so all our shareholders and to the team. And I said, hey, look, we need to own the relationship to the customers. And everybody was like, okay, what, there is already Kindle. So why, how on earth do you want to create an app that will compete with Kindle? How, how do you want to do that? That's not possible. And it was really, really difficult because like the pressure was on us and, uh, and like, yeah. And, and every minute I was like myself, like, I don't know, like whether we are going to succeed, but long story short, um, that platform that we created that year has now, uh, you know, reached a point where it's making $40 million in annual run rate. Um, we were just, um, nominated as the, uh, 39th, uh, fastest growing company in Europe by financial times based on actual revenue figures and it actually turned out to be working. So the the real thing that that made us grow really quick was to basically create our own distribution channel to not sell on uh Kindle anymore, uh create our own app. It's an app called Galatea uh which is uh which puts us in a really cool position because once we own the direct sales to the customers we are also now able to actually A-B test our stories and test different beginnings of stories, test different cliffhangers on, on every chapter. And this way we can improve the stories continuously and actually improve the sales um, because we are also selling chapter by chapter and not like book by book. So this puts us in a completely new position that we can A-B test stories and actually turn stories that are okay into even like super great stories and make them sell millions in, in, in sales. So, um, yeah, basically it was, uh, it was like a long, long journey and lots of like, you know, struggles, but, um, we were, uh, lucky that we, we survived and, and, and we made it and, um, yeah, and now, now we have like new sets of challenges on, on scaling and like how to surpass, uh, how to surpass Kindle, right? That's the, the next, uh, the next thing for us. I mean, bigger, bigger company, you know, bigger, bigger, bigger the problems. Eh? So, I mean, you're, you're always going to have problems and fires. So, I mean, it's all about putting them out. So, I guess in this case, how much capital have you guys raised to date? At this point, I believe we're at $85 million in total. $85 million. And uh, we're making a big announcement today. So, what are we announcing oh, wow, today, yeah. Ali? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, very, very big announcement. I'm really, uh, we are really proud and excited to announce that uh, Henry Kravis, uh, the founder of the private equity company uh, KKR, is privately joining us as an investor. Uh, he invested like a mid uh, seven digits uh, figure of his uh, private funds. And he is an amazing person. We we did our Series B in in October with uh, with NEA. With a, that was like a fifty nine million dollar NEA um, uh, Series B, and um, and then after that, that's like when I met Henry and I realized like how much an amazing person he is. Like he literally started KKR out of his bedroom, uh, you know, with with a few other people with I believe ten thousand dollars, and now they're managing I believe a five hundred billion 
uh, under management and he, like how he has created KKR from the from the get go from the from the ground and how he has created this amazing company with a really cool company culture that he was talking with me about like and he, how he created that how he enforced things really amazing guy he's um, also very well connected to all CEOs around the world and um, uh, having him on board um, is like a you know dream come true like it's, it's somebody that um, yeah I, I would I would have never envisioned that you know like I would be working with such an such amazing people now I mean you are there in in, in Berlin and um, you know here you've been able to you've managed to get on board some of the best investors in the world from the US I mean typically crossing the Atlantic is not it's not an easy task you know it's a completely different mindset when it comes to fundraising. And as you were alluding to, I mean, you got the Series A, you got Kleiner Perkins, Series B, you got um, NEA, uh, New Enterprise Associates, and now you got Henry Kravis, the founder of KKR. How did you manage to get these people being based in Berlin? The simple answer is just be out there and and like you know go to Sand Hill Road and and talk to these people, right? So. Uh, I think what, once um, I was talking to a, um, a Silicon Valley VC and I was asking them like, hey, why don't you have actually a Europe-based uh, office? And what they said was, you know what? Because the best founders somehow make it here. And, and that's the reason that they, they didn't have actually any other second, second offices. And, and yeah, so like it's, it's, not, it's not, not a difficult thing. You just need to go over, network your way uh, find these people um, and talk to them, and and if you have like, and that, that's I can definitely talk for 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 ourselves. Like we have like very big ambitions, right? Like we we want to build the Disney of the 21st century. We want to um, expand beyond ebooks and physical books into like audiobooks, TV series, um, movies, merchandise, games, even hopefully even at some point our own theme park. So we have like a very big vision on like where we want to take the company building the Disney of the 21st century. And, and in order to do that, I, I also wanted to have like the best investors in the entire world, um, the people who think very long term. And, and that tends to be often like, you know, the, the Kleiner Perkins or the NEAs or the Sequoias uh, of this world who, who think long term, who think really big. And I wanted to have these people around, around the table. And, um, you know, like together with, uh, with NEA also, uh, Matthias Döpfner, who is on the on the board, he's the CEO of Axel Springer and the and the board on the on um, Netflix. So he joined us as well. He's also on our board now. Um, we also have Michael Linton, who who joined us, who is um, who is a chairman of Snapchat. He used to be a CEO of, of Sony Pictures. So yeah, amazing people. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to be working with these people who think really big, who understand the business, and. Yeah, we want to really, um, you know, create some um, uh, big value for the world, and and that's that's why it's important to have like this um, uh, amazing people on board. Now, storytelling is everything. I mean, everything is storytelling, and I think that that's what maybe is going to allow you guys to really, you know, go into the other, you know, uh, business lines as you were describing. No, uh, and you know, storytelling in in fundraising is is. It's really big. I mean, storytelling, people are ultimately investing in future, in possibility. Uh, and in this case, you have an edge because you know, you know, based on data, what kind of stories trigger emotion. So I guess for the people that are listening, 
that are thinking, hey, how do I structure my pitch or how do I structure my story? What can you tell the people that are listening about storytelling when it comes to fundraising? So I, I think the, the key in, in um, telling, telling your story or, or, or pitching is for sure like rehearsal, like a lot of, lot of, lot of training um, and trying your pitch in lots of different ways, potentially recording yourself, listening to it and seeing like whether you yourself would be sold, um, like figuring out if it's, if it's emotional enough. And I, I did, yeah, I, I, I tried my pitch like with, uh, with employees. I tried my pitch with my fiance. I, um, even, um, for our series B, I believe, um, it was, yeah, for the, for the series B for the first time, I even hired, um, uh, an acting, uh, coach, uh, who was, who was helping me with like, um, you know, who, who was not like a very technical guy at all. And I wanted to pitch him and make sure that he understands my pitch. Right, like it, the pitch has to be as simple as possible, and uh, it has to be emotional. And yeah, and uh, you you wanna you wanna make sure that that your your pitch resonates with lots of different personalities because when you're pitching, you really don't know who the person on the other side is. Whether they're more emotional, they're more pragmatic, they're more numbers driven. So you want to cover all of those things. So it's 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 a lot of yeah, a lot of training, a lot of like you know rehearsal, um, listening to yourself. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely did did spend a lot of time on on, on that and, and how 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 my message com- comes across. I don't know if I would be able to like you know condense it into say like hey do A B and C or something. Got it, got it. I mean obviously every company is different, every uh, background and experience that someone has gone through is different. So uh, absolutely, it's very tough to really structure that. But but I agree with you. It's all about figuring out how you trigger emotion and how you make it authentic. So. One question that I wanted to ask you is, imagine I put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time, you know, maybe to that moment that you were coming out of university and you were thinking about starting a business. If you were to have a sit down with that younger Ali and give that younger Ali a piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why, given what you know now? To keep believing in yourself and if you don't give up and if you continue trying, if you have that motivation and you keep trying and trying and trying and you don't give up, things always work out. Things always work out. There's always a solution. Everything can be done, um, but just don't give up. Just don't. Um, and I, I think that that's like my, my learning with my fa- first failed startup where I did give up too early. So I, I think like not giving up and continue believing in, in yourself um, even though things are super tough, if everybody tells you you should be quitting and if, you know, if everything, like all the signs show that um, things are not going to work out, it will work out. Just, just work hard. It will work out. I love it. So Ali, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? My email address is Ali, A-L-I at Inkit.com with double T, I-N-K-I-T-T.com. Amazing. Well, hey, Ali, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. It's been an honor to have you. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Alejandro. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. 
You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.